Today on the All You Need to Know About Human Physiology podcast, we will be covering the major concepts of the cardiac cycle, a description of how blood pressure is regulated, and a description of the process of blood coagulation and dissolving blood clots. The cardiac cycle is wonderfully displayed through the use of the Wiggers diagram. I think it would be very helpful for you to be looking at the diagram while I explain some of these concepts. Firstly, it is good to know that the changes between relaxation and contraction are due to pressure. So when we're trying to figure out the flow of blood through the chambers of the heart, we will depict the pressure changes that are occurring. To start off, the blood will be filling in the atria as it's contracting, which means that it's an atrial systole and the blood is flowing through the AV valves into the ventricle. From here, we have a stage called isovolumic contraction, which is when the ventricle now has a slightly greater pressure than the atria. When this happens, the AV valves will close in order to prevent backflow. So question time, why do the AV valves closing prevent backflow of blood? Exactly. Because pressure moves from high to low, if the ventricle has a higher pressure, the blood will want to move to the lower pressure in the atria. This would cause backflow and the flow of blood through the chambers would not persist. This is why the AV valves must close, resulting in the first heart sound. The same process continues as the ventricle starts to pump blood to the aorta because the ventricle has a higher pressure than the aorta. This causes the aortic valves to open and the ventricles are in systole. Finally, the aortic valves will shut when the aorta's pressure exceeds the ventricles, resulting in a second heart sound and ventricular relaxation or diastole. The atrial pressure will then begin to exceed the ventricular pressure, restarting the entire cycle. So question time, when the ventricles reach their maximum pressure, what does the volume of blood in the ventricles equate to? Yes, pressure and volume are inversely proportional, meaning that if pressure is high, volume is low. So now let's have a brief discussion on cardiac output as it's pertinent to understanding how blood flow actually works. So CO equals HR times SV is an equation that allows us to determine cardiac output. HR stands for heart rate and SV stands for stroke volume. It also mentions that the volume in milliliters per beat can be found by taking the end diastolic volume and subtracting the end systolic volume from it when talking about cardiac output. As shown in the diagram on slide 38 of ML09, the addition of norepinephrine allows for an increase in stroke volume compared to the control group. Usually, the stroke volume is around 70 milliliters, but the addition of norepinephrine increases this greatly. As we know, during sympathetic activation, epinephrine is released in order to increase the heartbeat in times of stress. The mechanism of how we do this is shown on the next slide. When epinephrine and no or norepinephrine are released, they bind to beta receptors that activate cyclic AMP which acts as a second messenger to affect calcium ion channels. This all results in an increase in cardiac output, which we just covered. So moving on, let's talk about capillary exchange. The diagram on slide 87 does a great job of explaining the cross-sectional area, velocity, and physiology that we can see in the capillaries. 
The capillaries are where the most exchange is occurring, so the velocity is extremely slow in order to aid in the increased exchange of ions and materials between blood vessels. So question time. Knowing what you know now, what does a larger cross-sectional area mean in terms of velocity? Exactly. We can see that the larger the cross-sectional area is, the slower velocity is. So, blood flow, as we know, is essential to our functions, and this is especially true of the brain. If the, br if the brain does not have a supply of oxygen, problems can occur. Dr. Meyer explained a lot about the importance of the diagnosis of strokes. Firstly, a stroke is when there is a plaque buildup or a clot in the brain that can restrict blood flow and oxygen, resulting in damage to the brain and even death. The treatment of stroke is variable and the degrees of complication are numerous. When I took a first aid course, we learned the acronym FAST in order to identify the signs of a stroke. F stands for face drooping, A stands for weakness in the arm, S stands for slurred speech, and T stands for time to call for help. Moving on, let's have a short discussion about red blood cells. The biconcave shape of the red blood cells plays an immensely important role in the physiology and function of the red blood cells. This shows how structure relates to function. The shape of a red blood cell has sort of an indentation that Dr. Meyer says looks a bit like a jelly donut. This shape allows for red blood cells to be able to squeeze and push through blood vessels, helping their function. So question time, what diseases can you think of distort the shape of the red blood cells. Perfect. Anemia is a great example and there are various causes and types of anemia. So now that we talked a little bit about red blood cells, let's move on to our next major topic of blood pressure regulation. So pressure changes in the blood are regulated through negative feedback. Firstly, if there's an increase in blood pressure, the firing rate of the baroreceptors would increase. The cardio control center would then increase the activity of the parasympathetic output, and it would decrease the activity of sympathetic output. This means that more acetylcholine will be released onto muscarinic receptors, leading to the heart rate decreasing. If heart rate decreases, there is a decrease in cardiac output, as we covered before, and the heart rate slows and is not beating as fast. This then results in a decrease in blood pressure, which negatively feeds back onto our initial stimulus of the increase in blood pressure. So question time, if there is a decrease in blood pressure, how would cardiac output be affected? Due to a decrease in blood pressure, sympathetic output would increase, leading to vasoconstriction of the arterioles, veins, and blood vessels. Conversely, parasympathetic output would decrease, resulting in, the, in a greater firing rate of the SA node, which thus increases heart rate. Heart rate, as we learned before, directly affects cardiac output. If heart rate increases, cardiac output also increases. The cycle would end with an increase in blood pressure, which negatively feeds back onto the initial stimulus. Our last major concept will cover blood coagulation and the dissolving of blood clots. First, let's talk about how red blood cells mature. The image on slide 8 of ML09 explains how red blood cells can grow and develop. 
Blood cells grow in the bone marrow. Most of the blood cell production occurs in large bones in our bodies like the femur. Megakaryocytes are huge cells that break off into platelets, and these platelets are used to help with clotting. Additionally, the stem cells found in the bone marrow can form into white blood cells or red blood cells. So question time, what is the difference between pluripotent versus totipotent stem cells? Exactly, totipotent stem cells can divide through mitosis and form full organisms, and pluripotent stem cells have the ability to mature into any type of cell we have in our body, whether that be neuronal cells or glial cells or anything of the sort. So now that we understand a bit more about blood cells and how they mature, why don't we discuss how clot formation occurs? As we mentioned before, megakaryocytes break off into smaller products called platelets. When there is a break or tear in our skin, the collagen in our skin will bring the platelets to activate them. This activation leads to the release of platelet factors, summoning even more platelets. The accumulation of these platelets forms a plug. And through the activity of thrombin, this is able to occur. Thrombin catalyzes the reaction from fibrinogen to fibrin polymers, which allows for the full clot to be formed, and fibrin provides a mesh work for this clot so that it can form. So that was a lot of information. So another question, what is the opposite of coagulation? Yes, the correct answer is fibrinolysis. Fibrinolysis occurs when thrombin slowly activates plasmin, which breaks down fibrin polymers into fibrin fragments. The tissue plasminogen activator works with thrombin to accomplish this process. After breaking down fibrin, this leads to the dissolving of blood clots, so the opposite of coagulation. But why does this matter? Clot formation and vessel repair are extremely important to our bodies. Without these mechanisms, our body would just bleed endlessly, resulting in massive amounts of blood loss that could kill us. Hemophilia occurs when there is an absence of clotting factors, and hemophilia results in prolonged bleeding. So question time, as a genetically inheritable disease and an X-linked trait, does hemophilia affect more women or more men? Exactly. Hemophilia would affect more men than women. Women have two X chromosomes and can become carriers of the gene, but they don't need to express this gene. Because men get one X chromosome from their mothers, men are more at risk for hemophilia. Well, that's all for today. I hope you learned something about the major concepts of the cardiac cycle, a description of how blood pressure is regulated, and a description of the process of blood coagulation and dissolving of blood clots. See you next week for another discussion. All of the information today was brought to you by the lectures titled Bio3200 MLO8304 and Bio3200 MLO9311 by Dr. Karen Meyer. Bye!